0: If you have your Bibles, open them up to Jeremiah chapter 5. Jeremiah is quite the long book and um, never what I say redundant, but some of the theme is the same all the way through as we go through. I've warned you guys before that I'm going to try to, if we, if we try to take every verse, every chapter, which we're going to do to some degree, it's going to take a long time to get through Jeremiah. So in some places, we're going to try to cruise a little bit higher. So certain sections, if I'm just reading through them, um, there's a reason for it. It's kind of continuing with the theme. And again, just to get a running start so you know, Jeremiah is a prophet who came about 60 years after Isaiah in the chronology of your Bible. He comes right before, about 40 years before the Babylonian captivity. And God was warning through the ministry of Jeremiah. He's known as the weeping prophet. One of my favorite characteristics of Jeremiah is that when, when Jesus asked that question several times in his ministry, um, who do men say that I am, one of the responses that the people gave in watching the life of Jesus, they said, are you the, are you the prophet Jeremiah? And, and again, if, if, you know, what if, if somebody asked Jesus, who do you say I am, and they said, are you, are you Gary? Gary? You know like like you you look so much like him and, and 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 so to to know that Jeremiah carried himself in such a way that that he was like jesus is, is a super super amazing compliment. He was a young man, maybe sixteen to twenty years old when God called him he He had a very tough ministry, he was going against the grain. the nation of Israel was in a place where they were very um very hardened of heart and, and very kind of aloof to spiritual things. Um, he reigned during the, the reign of four different kings during, Isaiah, during Jeremiah's reign. A um, couple of them only lasted about three months. But the most notable one was a young man named Josiah. And Josiah has an amazing um, story in the Bible because Josiah was um, king at eight years old. And, and so his, his dad died. He was eight years old. He became king at eight years old. When he was about sixteen years old, sixteen to twenty, um, Josiah found a copy of the torah and and Up until that time there was there was no nobody was reading and studying and following torah that 's where israel was and and so so Josiah repents in sackcloth and ashes and and the 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 scribes read to him the Torah and he institutes a revival in Israel um, about the time that that Jeremiah is um, beginning his ministry and as you guys remember this this um, revival that took place in Israel and restoring the Word of God and restoring um, in this time of israel 's history was very superficial, and the people were um, Christian in name only they were they were following the Lord and doing these things, but there was real no no real deep devotion of intimacy and that 's one of the things as we go through jeremiah that we 're going to see and we 're going to try to point out and apply to our lives that you know the pastor joke, you know, where you go, I stole this joke from another pastor, stole it from another pastor, but you hear it everywhere. But it goes like this, coming to church doesn't make you a Christian no more than standing in your garage makes you a car. And, and again, we, we, we do have this idea where in certain circles, in certain churches, in certain places where, um, you know, there, there's, a, there's a lulling of a false sense of security. And again, I never want to be guilty uh, when I stand before the Lord of pastoring a church or doing ministry in such a way that we lull you into a a false sense of security. Your salvation, whether you're going to heaven or hell, is, is not based on whether you come to church or not. It's based on your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's, if you're saved, you're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And you have a personal um, relationship with Jesus and your, your relationship is not corporate. It's not, you don't achieve that salvation by attending and being a part and serving and giving. That's a, that's a personal decision between you and the Lord. But again, the largest churches in America, and, and, and Timothy tells us, I was going to get to this, but I'll just jump to it because it's where we are. But Timothy says this about the last days. He says to Paul is talking to Timothy and he says, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. So, again, I charge you is this this military term of a of a commanding officer, commanding, um, charging, giving direction to his troops. That that's not um, a decision. Right. The Marines don't say, oh, you know, Gary, would you like to go to Iraq and Afghanistan? No, they say, strap up your boots, you're leaving on this date, and you go, or you go to the brig. And, and, and Paul here says, I charge you, Timothy, with these things. And then he says, preach the word. And, and that's the charge, preach the word. And, and again, that's, that's what's missing in, in a lot of churches, and a lot of um, denominations, and a lot of things where, you know, so many of these mainstream denominations over the last 70 years have careened off into liberalism. I think it was 20 or 20 years ago or so, and, and again, I don't want to get it wrong and, and, and mislabel somebody, but it was either the Methodist or the Presbyterian or, you know, one of them. You can Google it and find it out, but there was a, um, a national convention of all the main leaders of this denomination, and the topic of the convention was, and, and Calvary, we do the same thing, right? I go to the regional pastors' conference, leadership conferences at Calvary all the time. Well, they were doing their conference for their denomination, and the subject was, is the word of God the final authority? And they left that conference deciding that the word of God is not the final authority for today. I, and it's not surprising because how do you come to the decisions that they've made in the last 20 years where they're ordaining gay and lesbian ministers and leaders and they're, they're winking at sin and they're affirming um, the, the homosexual lifestyle. And, and so, you know, they're, they're, we had here in Tooele a gay, uh, not a gay, a lesbian woman pastor of a church here in Tooele. And her denomination was approving of this, and, and so when you get away from the word of God, you get to these things, the other thing that, that, that happens in churches, and, and this is where my heart breaks, because people just, it takes a while, it takes birthdays to learn these things, but you go to church week after week after week, and then you run into me in Walmart, and I say to you, you know, how's church, how do you like your church, oh it's great, I, I say, same thing I'm going to always say, are, are they teaching the word, and they say, oh yes, they're, they're teaching the word, it's great, but, but the reality is, they, 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 they're not Doing what Paul tells Timothy here, preach the word. A lot of the teaching is is springboard type of teaching. It's not in its historical context. It's it's not accurate to what the Bible is trying to communicate, what Jesus was trying to communicate. I'll give you a classic example. A guy left our church here, good good friend of mine, I love him, moved to South Carolina, started attending a church. He was really loving this pastor and this preaching. And it was kind of strange because he's a real technical kind of guy. Like he got off on this gap theory debate one time and spent like hours and hours and hours and reading books and and just wanted to tell me all about the gap theory and this and that and the ins and outs of the gap theory. And um, super technical guy. And so the fact that he was really enjoying this style of preaching was kind of weird to me. But he was texting me on Sunday afternoon about 4 o'clock. I'd get my phone would light up. Oh, man, you should have heard this message today from this preacher, my new preacher, you know. So, so I, I, I click on the message, and the title of the message is the parable of the wheat and the tares. And I'm like, okay, cool. The guy's teaching the Bible. So I listen to the message, and the message goes, um, you know, in, in this parable that Jesus is teaching, the wheat is the fruit. That's where we make our bread from. It's good. Tares look like wheat, but they're, they're a weed, and they're bad. And, and the wheat and the tares grow together. And so he says, so, so the wheat is, is good, and does God use blessing to raise his children? And the obvious answer is yes, God uses blessing. And he said, well, the wheat grows, in, or the tares grow in the same field. And then he points out some places in the Bible where it talks about how, and which I'm very candid about the fact, right, that we need to know that we're going to face trials in this life. Christian living doesn't mean Disneyland every day. Jesus went through some hard things, and he said, if I'm going to go through them, you're going to go through them, and that we should expect, James, as a matter of fact, tells you, to count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Jesus said, you will face tribulation in this life, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. So, so the idea that as Christ followers, we're going to face tribulation is Bible, and so that's what he says. He says, so... We the tares. Does God use um, bad things and, and, and tough things and trials and tribulations to raise his children? And the obvious answer is yes. And and then he goes on and then about three quarters of the way through the message, the band starts coming back up and the piano player starts going bom bom, bom, bom and the smoke starts rising and, and he gets to this point in his message and he says, So what does God use to raise his children? Is it the wheat or the tares? What does God use? And then the band goes crazy. Bom, bom, bomb, bomb, and he goes, It's both. And then the crowd erupts and the smoke goes off and the fireworks start chiming And now, now listen, everything he said in the message was, was truth out of the word of God. The wheat, God God blesses us. And God raises children through blessing. God also allows trials and tribulations, patience and things that produce patience. And, the, and we know the word of God talks about we're going we're gonna to go through difficult things. But the, the parable of the wheat and the tares, that's not what Jesus was teaching Not at all. So, so that's called a springboard teaching. Now, those are good messages one off. I could show up on a Sunday morning and I could give you a one off, and we could get into something topical like that, and it'd be—it's a great message. No problem with the message, because everything he taught was true. But the problem is, if I have a steady diet of those types of messages, I'm not going to mature as a Christ follower. And the reality is the the, the parable of the wheat and the tares in its historical context and what Jesus was trying to communicate, it's important to get that across. And what Jesus was saying is that in the church, there's wheat and tares. Some of you are wheat and some of you are tares. And listen, I don't know. You don't have a sign on your forehead that says, I snuck a demon in here. And I can't wait to cause division in your church. But Jesus said... If if as members of the body of Christ, if we spend our tr- our time trying to decide who's tares and we and we're going through the church trying to rip people out our church or any church or the the larger body of Christ, Jesus said don't do that. Because if you do that, you're going to tear up wheat that are my children. You're going to you're going to get it wrong. So don't try to to separate the wheat and the tares. They're going to grow together. And in the end of the harvest, I'm going to send the reaper, and he's going to divide the goat and the sheep. He's going to divide the wheat and the tares. And so again, you know, this, this lady, off topic now, but this lady called me one time, and she said, you know, there's so many um, false churches and bad churches, and I've come up with this um, website and this survey, and I go around, and I check all the churches, and then I tell everybody what's a good church and a what's a bad church. There's a 100 um, questionnaire thing. I want you to fill it out and um, and and then you know buy your answers I'll put it on my website and then people when they're looking for a church we can avoid the the bad churches and, and so I explained to her the parable of the wheat and the tares and I said listen I said I'm not going to fill out your survey I said first of all because you're wanting to make a ministry by doing exactly what Jesus told you not to do you're going to go out and you're going to remove the the tares. And, 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 and then I looked at her survey, and I said, in and half your survey, the questions are flawed anyways. The bottom line was she came out of uh, that, that guy out of Salt Lake who used to be a, a Mormon, and then he started a ministry, uh, kind of really flamboyant, kind of over-the-top charismatic guy. You guys might know me. He had a radio program that was super popular, Sean McCraney's church. And Sean McCraney said, if you pass a bag during the offering, that you're only in it for the money and you're a charlatan. But if you just have a, a love offering box, then you're a good church. So that was one of her criterias. If you pass a bag, then you're, you're, you're in it for the money. No. no, no. We passed a bag in this church for a long time. I stopped passing a bag during Corona. So during COVID, <laughs> Corona, same thing. I don't know where my mind's at, you know. <laughs> I prefer Dulceki's, but no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But... Um, yeah, if you get coronavirus twice, it's dulcekes. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> where am I at? <laughs> but, but you know, we passed the bag until then, and we stopped, and we haven't since. But, you know, it, it doesn't. Our heart, our heart didn't change. I wasn't a charlatan when I was passing a bag and only in it for the money, and now that I don't pass a bag, I'm not. And, and so again, you know, I explained to her. You're trying to make a ministry out of doing exactly what Jesus said not to do. So, so again, not not to get off on that. To get up back to this, and, and for a new believer, for new believers in Twilla County, there's some churches that, that that teach the Bible this way, and and, and when you go there, you. you you know, until you get some depth of character or until you've been in a place where you're getting a steak every night, you're getting a chapter of God's word, you're getting, you know, it in, in its historical context, you start to develop an appetite for that. And then you could start to tell when you're getting a bunch of springboard teaching and a bunch of topical off-topic, not actually teaching what the Bible says. And again, I I don't make a bone about, you know, because sometimes it becomes a a, a debate between, you know, us at Calvary Chapel who are verse-by-verse and other folks that are topical. I'm not in that fight, right? Like, I think there's a wonderful place. I I do topical messages. I do verse-by-verse messages. But you just, you, you can't have a steady diet of this springboard type of teaching. And that's not only what goes with this church. With this particular church that I've been talking about, you know, they're not going to deal with, with, with chapters in the Bible, Romans chapter 1, where it talks about certain sins, where things are exposed, because they want people to come every week and feel comfortable. You know, the Joel Olsteins of the world, and I can pick on him easily because that's just it, the smiling prophet. You know, and, and, and again, so this is what, what um, Paul tells Timothy, and he says, for the time will come. When is that time coming? That time is here. When they will not endure sound doctrine... But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers to tickle their itching ears. And that's exactly what's happening. That was what was happening in Jeremiah's day. There was so many prophets that were coming around, and they were saying, oh, everything is great. You're okay. I'm okay. We're all okay. Everything's wonderful, wonderful. And Jeremiah was the only one. He was the only, you know, live fish swimming upstream going against the flow. And the message was tough, and so Jeremiah, because his heart would break for the people because they didn't heed it. And so here's Jeremiah, this young man, 20 years old, 40 years of ministry. We're going to go through these phases, and basically it's all the prophecies and all the word of God that was being given to um, Israel. The southern um, part of Israel, the northern part of Israel, um, they had already gone into what? Captivity, Captivity, everybody. The northern ten tribes had already gone into captivity with the? Assyrians, they were in Assyrian captivity. We talked about last week how um, one of the things that Jeremiah points out is that you watched your, your sister, it's called, they're called sister in the verse, your, your northern family go into captivity and you still wouldn't believe that it was coming. Yeah? All right. So verse 1, chapter 5 says, "...run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem." See now and know. So listen, the Bible says Jesus told us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. You know, it's one of the things that, that this church, um, our, our sending church, is um, really successful in. You know, what, what Pastor Gerald has done over the last six and a half years of building CBI, 14 international campuses around the world, building a campus in the Sudan you know, we're, they, we, they just got back. You guys know you guys had sent me last April to go to the Republic of Georgia and, and, and teach the conference to the Iranian servants who are going back into Iran preaching the gospel, Gerald just got back, they're doing it every six months, so the October one, I got invited again, I just couldn't pull it off, it was too busy with Lydia's schedule, and, and they had a really amazing lineup this year, so dad said, you know, it's just kind of redundant for you and I to be at the same time, I'd rather you go when I can't go, but I didn't get to go in October, I was a little bummed about it, but the timing didn't hit, but they just got done, they had 50 um, Iranian servants that were able to come in uh, Wonderful time, they had eight CBI graduates from um, CBI in Georgia And so going into all the nation and Preaching the gospel, it's a call of God, we're in the Sudan We're in the Republic of Georgia training Iranians That are going right back into you know, This place, we're working with Russians We're you know, the major players in the End times and we're planning churches and doing Ministry in all of these places and we you know, We get to be a part of that, all you guys Are a part of that in, in taking the gospel To the world you know, and sometimes you get this sentiment like, um, you know, well, why, why, why are we doing ministry in the Republic of Georgia? And what about Tooele? And listen, we don't neglect Tooele. Our first ministry is here in Tooele, and we do a ton of benevolence, a ton of work, and a ton of outreach, and we do everything that we can. Tooele is always first, because without the base, we're not going to be effective in reaching the outer ends of the, of the earth. There was, a lot of, there was a long season in our church where we didn't have any money, we didn't have any funds, we didn't have any excess to be able to do outreach around the world. And we focused just on building the base and building the base. But the stronger we build the base, the more effective we'll be in missions. And I don't know if you guys remember... But I told you guys that as we go through different um, seasons, I call them, where God has our church in a certain season, you know, we were in a season where we were building the base, and we weren't doing, we weren't supporting any missionaries, and doing any kind of missions work, and I wasn't going on any mission trips, and, um, and it just wasn't a season. But I remember coming out, of that was, that was probably um, 2017 to 2020 in there, and about 2021, I remember standing behind this pulpit and telling you guys that God is putting us in a new season, and we're going to enter a new season where um, we're going to start getting involved in doing a lot of missions work and and missions trips, and that's exactly what happened over the next three years. Amazing opportunities God opened up for our church and um, for us to not only just send and serve, but the other thing that I try to do um, that I think is in accordance to this call of God is, you know, when I bring these missionaries in, We had Michael who came in. We we have different guys. We got a guy that's coming from Far Reaching Ministries on November 8th who's going to share. And they have a phenomenal, phenomenal missions outreach. It's a ministry hub called Far Reaching Ministries. The missionary Jason Havertape, who's been with us a couple times in Georgia as well, he's with Far Reaching. Wes Bentley runs Far Reaching. He's the one that does the rescues in Afghanistan and you know, their training. He's the one that has the, the, the chaplains in the Sudan where they they trained a bunch of Christians and, and armed them to, to protect themselves against the Muslim onslaught in the, in the Sudan. And um, So they're going to come and represent. But again, just being a part of sharing the gospel. And I want us to have the heart that, listen... we're not neglecting home, you know, but I don't know. It's like, I don't know. Sometimes you just, maybe it's not you guys. It's those Christians that suck on lemons, you know, all the time. You know, they're like, oh, why are are we supporting children in Africa? And what about, you know, it's like, why don't you go one time, you know, and, and just see the need that's there in the world. And listen, 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 listen. God has enough resources that if we go and serve Africa, it's not going to take away from something that we can or should be doing here. God has enough resources to go around. And I tell you guys all the time, believe it or not, but I do the finances, and I will tell you part of them, and I will tell you that when we give and support missions, God gives it back. And, and especially with Vlad, and I always tease Vlad, and Vlad is a really good friend of mine. Vlad and I went to Bible college together 27 years ago and spent two years together, and that's how we met. We've been close friends ever since. And every time... I write a check to the Republic of Georgia, to, to Calvary Chapel, Tbilisi North, or to CBI, Tbilisi. Like, within days, that money comes back supernaturally, like, out of the blue. You know, Vlad is giving me a hard time. He's like, well, why don't you just keep giving me more money? God keeps giving it back. Why, why do you stop? You know, just keep, keep doing it. But we sent him $2,000 um, to support the October conference and um and i wrote the t- same, same story and you guys think i'm lying or i've told this story over again like oh you told that story no it's a new story same but same truth i wrote him a check for two thousand dollars like on a tuesday sitting in my office i wrote the check and went and dropped it in the mail i came back I opened up my computer and there was some random donation that had come in for like four grand and it was like happens every time so listen yeah we we we, we can we can there's enough resources to go around You never have to have gift envy. You know, you see another brother or sister who's really on fire for Jesus, killing it for Jesus. You don't have to envy what they're doing. God can bless them and still has enough left over to bless you. And God can use you just the same way. And so here, Jeremiah, in these these chapters 5 and 6, he's first told to go on the streets. When we get to 7 through 10, he's told to go to the temple. And he says, and seek in her open places. If you can find a man... If there is anyone who executes judgment, do do you guys ever ask God? So he tells Jeremiah, go and see if you can find a man. You know, go out and do ministry. Do you guys ever pray and ask God, God, give me an opportunity to share my faith today. That should be a morning prayer, daily prayer for every one of us. God, give me an opportunity to share the gospel today. Sometimes, you know, especially like on the day off or something, you know, I'll be at home and I'll just be like, you know, Lord, give me, I'm going to go to Walmart and I don't need to buy anything. I'm not, I just want to go and walk around the aisles and put somebody in the way. And give me an opportunity to share the gospel. Give me, put someone in my life today that, that, that wants to hear it or needs to hear it. Or something. I have someone approach me. Or, you know, and all the time praying that God would give us an opportunity to share our faith. You know, the story is where Jesus goes in the roundabout um, way. And they were on their way. And Jesus said, we must needs go through Samaria. And the Jews had traveled between these two distances with Samaria in the middle, but they always went around. It was customary. And this time Jesus said, no, we're going through. They said, we don't go through Samaria. What are you talking about? And Jesus said, we must needs go through Samaria. And and the reason was because when they got to Samaria, there was a woman at the well that Jesus had a divine appointment with that he was going to meet and things were going to happen. And so there was that divine appointment. And so we asked God for those divine appointments that we must needs go through Samaria. And, 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 and wherever your day is, you know, coming up, if you're going to serve here on, on Halloween, there's going to be so many folks, 5,000, 7,000 people that God's going to bring out. And a, maybe one of those 7,000 is somebody that God has been reaching, God has been speaking to, and they, they just need you to tell them something. And so, you know, come that day and pray. And, and as you come, pray and say, God, give me an opportunity. Give me a divine appointment today to reach that person that that you want to bring the gospel to. And then the rest of verse 5 says, And if there is anyone who execute judgment, who seeks the truth, and I will pardon her. So so again, God is saying, you know, if you find one. Do you remember Abraham? When Abraham was going to leave Sodom and Gomorrah, or or, it wasn't in Sodom and Gomorrah, God said to Abraham, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And then Abraham starts to plead with, God. And he says, God, if there's 50 righteous in Sodom and Gomorrah, will you spare it? And God says, if there's 50 righteous in Sodom and Gomorrah, I'll spare it. And then they tease, right, because Abraham starts to jew him down a little bit as the joke, you know, and they, they say that Abraham said, well, Lord, don't be mad, but what if there's five less? If there's 45, would you spare it? And God says, if there's 45, I'll spare it. And Abraham keeps working it down, working it down. What if there's 30 or there's 20? And finally, they come to 10. Abraham's probably counting on his hands and thinking he could get to 10. And God says, if there's 10, I'll spare it. And God didn't find 10. And, and this is the idea. He says, if you find one, then I'll spare her. And, and, and there wasn't one. And in verse 2, he says, though they say, as the Lord lives, surely they shall, they shall swear falsely. And again, we talked about the false prophets of Jeremiah's day, and those are those that are swearing falsely. You can kind of highlight that if you want, and then I'll bring it out a couple more times because God's going to mention it through the prophet of Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah multiple times about this false word of God that was going out that's creating this false sense of security among God's people. In verse 3, O oh Lord, are not your eyes on the truth? Listen, God is interested in the truth, and there's an absolute truth. You know, do you remember... Um, Harvey, what's his name? Harvey, the radio guy. Paul Harvey, Paul Harvey. If I was the devil's speech, you know, and, and, and really one of the things in that, it's a phenomenal thing. He wrote in the 60s and, and everything exactly what, you know, as, as Satan used to destroy our world. But one of the things that Satan has used to destroy our world in the last 30 or 40 years is this idea of, of relative truth. That if it's true for you, it's true for you. And if it's true for me, it's true for me. I, for the life of me, I could never understand these folks, how they how they process, how they lay their head on a pillow at night. You know, it's like, is that a blue car or a green car? Well, if it's blue for you, it's blue for you. And if it's green, no, dude, the car is either blue or green. Like, it is, it is one thing. You know, Frank Turek says, you know, when you run into one of these, these relative truth guys and they say, there are no absolutes, you can ask them, is that an absolute statement? You know, but... Yeah, and, and again, it's, it's out there. That's what's in, in, the, in the higher academia of the colleges in, in America for the last 30 years is that everything is relative, and there's no absolute truth. But why is that such a big push? Why is that gaining so much popularity among the left and among the world? Because it's opposite of what the Word of God says, and truth is important, and there is an absolute truth. You know, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and, and the very fact that Jesus himself identifies with this term truth that the truth, you know, um, you remember when Jesus was um, crucified and Pilate was interviewing him, and Pilate asked, you know, the 4,000-year-old the, the question, and unfortunately, Jesus didn't give a, a dialogue after, but what did, what did Pilate ask Jesus about truth? He said, what is truth? You know, Jesus could have just simply said, you're looking at it. You know, and there is a truth, and, I, and, and Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And because there's an absolute truth, there's a heaven and a hell. There there, there's a way to get there and a way not to get there. And then the rest of verse three says, You have stricken them, but they have not grieved you. you, have consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. They have made their faces harder than a rock. They have refused to return. Now, again, the theme that we've been reading, and hopefully you guys are catching up on it, is two terms, backsliding and return. Backsliding and return. The the Lord keeps saying to these people, these are a backsliding people. But return, but return, but return. Come to me. I think we spent quite a bit of time on this idea last week, that there's always this call of God in your life and in my life, wherever you are, if you're in a backsliding state, if you're strong, if you're walking with the Lord, that God is always inviting you to return. And the devil tells you that, you know, God doesn't want you. God's mad at you. Don't read your Bible. Don't go to church. You're a hypocrite. That's all a lie. God's word says as hard and as stiff-necked as these people were, the message all the way through Jeremiah is the same. Return, return, return. In verse 4 he says therefore i said surely these are poor they are foolish for they do not know the way of the lord the judgment of their god i will go to the great men and speak to them for they have no, for they have known the way of the lord the judgment of god but these have altogether broken the yoke and burst the bonds, so even the upper echelon, the educated those that that, that are spiritual, um, God says even among them i 'll go to them, but even among them, there was no fruit, there was no repentance, there was um, no no change. therefore, a lion from the forest shall slay them, a wolf of the desert shall destroy them, a leopard will watch over their cities now um, in the in the oral tradition of the rabbis the, this the lion. The wolf and the leopard here um, coincide with the, the the statue of Daniel. The head was the Babylonians. Then the Medo-Persians was, was the chest. And then the, and then the um, thighs of brass were the, were the um, Grecians. And then the next were the Romans. And so I don't know if you can tie that into here or not. But he's saying that it was part of Daniel's prophecy laying out. What was going to come? The head of gold in Daniel's statue had not yet come. That was coming. Within 40 years, the Babylonians would come, which would start this statue of Daniel. Can you guys picture the statue, Daniel's statue, with the head of gold? And um, it looks like uh, one of those awards they give out in Hollywood. It uh, looks like a what? It looks just like an Oscar statue. Yeah, same thing. But that's a huge Um, prophetic uh, part of big prophecy in the Bible, Daniel's prophecy of those successive nations that would come first, the Babylonians, Medo-Persians, Grecians, and then the Romans. And that's exactly how history played out in verse the rest of six. He says, everyone who goes out from there shall be torn in pieces because their transgressions are many. Their backslidings have. So there's our word, the backslidings, they're only increasing. What did John the Baptist say about the idea of increasing and decreasing?